0: Please pronounce your name correctly for me. My name is Petr Stanitsky. Pronouncing in Czech, yeah, Petr Stanitsky. Okay, great. Now, you were born and raised in the Czech Republic, but you've also studied in the United States, is that correct?
1: I was studying two times, actually, once as a student, and then when I graduated from Prague Academy, I went for the Fulbright, and I studied again, master class.
0: The thing that I found fascinating reading through your stuff is the studio of glass in architecture, or at least that's the way it translated into English. Yeah, that's right. I've never heard of that. What does that mean?
1: Actually, in 90s or two decades, let's say 90s and then a little bit after, in Umprum, there was a professor Marian Karel, which is a great glass artist, still alive with us, you know, working. He opened a the studio. There was always glass studio in Umbrum in Prague. At some point in the 90s, there became two studios. So there was a like traditional glass studio, which was led by Professor Kopetsky. And then Marian Karel came and he opened a second studio, which was called School of which is a class in architecture studio department. The idea behind it was that it was related to the space, to the environment and to the architecture. It was like, architecture was like an open environment, you know, like open 3D environment. So it was very much related to space and the object was a little bit secondary in a way. The space was doing more for the object than the other way. So it was very site-specific in a way, the artwork which was happening there and very, you know, like land art and environmentally open. So the glass was not the, the end, really, you know, was not the final thing. The glass was just a medium which kind of opens space and is very related to light and space and reflection. So it was very fine art-oriented uh, department, and I found it fascinating. I wasn't working with glass really before, but I was interested in figure And space, let's say, you know, and now I am more and more just involved in a space and environment and the relation between body and space and this kind of this mindset, let's say. So for me, it was very mind changing situation I lived in and I didn't work with glass before. And Marianne Karel said it doesn't matter, you know, like you will find eventually your way. And it actually happened, you know, like I found my way how to use glass in my work much later, after school, really, after college.
0: Well, I mean, your work, I'm looking at some of the larger, what I would call sort of more the site-specific installations and these kinds of sort of where you're involving the architecture with the quote-unquote, we'll call it like the art piece. They're reliant upon each other. So like you couldn't just buy that piece or move that piece to another exhibition space because it just wouldn't translate as well. Yeah. I find that whole idea so daunting because like I'm an artist who does an object and literally it could just be exhibited anywhere it's it's the thing you can hang on a wall or somebody could buy it so so like you put so much time effort and energy and money and and thought into all these things but it can only be shown in this one place are your things permanent installations are they temporary installations
1: actually most of them like 90 percent of them are really made for one exhibition or one event really all what you said it's true in a way you know like i'm still questioning you know like how much longer i should be doing this because it is really very time consuming but there is always someone who asked me you know like if i would be willing you know to work with this space or you know to try to do anything and same time it the adventure in it you know it's something what's pushing me you know like that it, Every exhibition is its new open call, and you never know, you know, how it will work. And I just want to try it. And for me, it's probably you know the the amount of stress, you know. I would like to see that the piece there is so big (laughs) that I still go for it, you know. Same time, I'm really fighting with a space in my studios because. I have so much material and, you know, like objects everywhere and they are pushing me out of my space, you know. So I'm fighting the battle, which I am constantly losing. I mean, my wife is nice and uh, she still is supporting me, you know, like she's like, yeah, you should go for it, you know. But many times I think, you know, like, "Ah, I wish I just have some objects or, you know, some reliefs or some graphics I could. I mean, I I still do some of it. Nearly every exhibition I do, I do uh, at least something small site-specific or something really made for the space. I just cannot be without it now. And same time, people are asking me, Hardly anyone asks me, just bring something from the studio, you know. So, yeah, it's both ways, but it's a big hustle, and it's heavy, and uh, the amount of uncertainty of, uh, you know, how it will work, you know, it's still quite...
0: Well, I mean, it's a daunting task to, like, for any artist, like because you want to make more work, you want to make bigger work, you want to make more impressive work, but if it's not permanently installed somewhere or bought or whatever it ends up back in your studio. That whole issue is a a, a big problem with a lot of artists because almost half my studio, well, let's see, no, I've rearranged now, like 30% of my studio is just storage of old works, which could be used to be making more newer, interesting stuff. But we're sort of forced to do that because we have to produce these things to continue our reputation and build our, our careers. But we also then have to, pay to store and or move like if we ever move god mm. what a pain in the ass yeah
1: and you're lucky that you do uh, more like photography and 2d objects you know like if you do 3d objects the it's even growing faster you know faster and faster absolutely that's the reality of uh, practically every artist
0: you know? but yours is not just 3d yeah. but it's fragile 3d <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. People are just afraid of glass that it it will break. Actually, it doesn't really break so easy. And most of the glass I have to work with is safety glass or hardened. So it's not so easy to break. But in a way, actually it is, but it's not too dangerous, really.
0: Yeah, it's meant to break, but it's meant to break into little shards. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And then it's uh, very translucent and, you know, like feels light, but at the same time, glass is quite heavy,
0: you know? I mean, why do you, I mean, it sounds horrible, like I'm I'm condescending, but like, why do you continue to choose to work with glass? Like, what's the thing about glass that makes you go like, "Hmm, I need to continue to do stuff with that?
1: You know what, because it has the unique qualities, you know, which hardly any other material has. You can look into it, it relates to light, the transparency and translucency and all these qualities and the layering, which you can work with, the kind of emotional quality is much different than the other materials have. And the light space and even the space inside the material, because you can look into it. It's something very unique and still fascinating for me. That's excellent.
0: Now, but you're also a professor, correct?
1: I am. Like uh, last year I became, or two years ago or something. Actually, I teach in a glass department now. Even that I didn't really do any glass when I was a student, you know. In the U.S., I studied in a very figurative sculpture department. But through this, I spent some time in RISD, in Rhode Island School of Design, in glass department. There is my friends teaching, and I'm in touch with them. So, uh, yeah, it's my favorite, actually, department in the whole world. It is the RISD glass department.
0: Interesting. Okay. It's a great school. No, no, No knock on RISD. It
1: is a great school. I had some adventurous time there. I mean, I was there 20 years ago, but I hope it's still good.
0: It's just like any school, you know, it ebbs and flows depending on the quality of the yeah. professors and the quality of the students coming out, the reputations change. Like I happen to have gone to a, what I think was a pretty good school for my master's program, but the couple years right around when I graduated, maybe not the best years for the school. <laughs> so while the school has a great reputation, that like five years around it, maybe not so hot.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I am teaching in
0: glass department. Actually, I
1: started a glass department at uh, Thomas Batia University. I am teaching right now. I started the program. It wasn't glass when I came. And it was right when I came from New York, when I was in New York on Fulbright. I came back and I started the glass department here. And I'm still in Zlin at the
0: university and so you're you're building a program from scratch like i love doing that i've done that at three schools like they, where they actually sort of chose to hire me because they know that i enjoy building programs because there's something about being able to sort of create the foundations and the structure of a brand new program that's a little in many ways more exciting and more you know, and more difficult than it is to just sort of st- walk into a pre-existing program and just be like, hi, I'm just going to yep. teach these couple classes that are already in this curriculum.
1: I had the same feeling, you know, because I was, before US, I was a just a teacher in a sculpture department at Umprum in Prague. And when I came back from US, before I went on Fulbright, uh, I teached in a sculpture department at Umprum in Prague. And when I came back after the Fulbright from New York, I just had a feeling I don't want to go to the same position or to the same institution. Because things changed, then the offer from this new university came and I thought maybe I just start something over just by myself and I try to figure things out, how to uh, do it differently and do it by me. I mean, it was a little bit a nightmare in the beginning because I remember even waking in the middle of night and writing things down, you know. I think I at least it is people are telling me still that it's a little different than the other class departments. Mm-hmm. So that was a point why I was doing it really.
0: Well, and that's one of those difficult things, because like when you build a department, you want it to be similar in that it has to still offer the same foundations, but you still you want to make it unique enough that people will be able to look at the program and go, that's what I want to learn. Because, of course, here in Europe, there's this mentor-apprentice sort of relationship that's still important. So people are going to say, want to say, I want to learn from that professor.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Because
0: yeah. that's not normal in America.
1: Probably not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that it's uh, not really, you know, like I'm going after the person's visual feeling, you know, visual statement or, you know, yeah, it depends, you know, like both ways works. I think,
0: I think there could be a beautiful balance of both because actually I have a full like statement on this whole idea because I don't want to mimic or like literally copy somebody that was my mentor. But I would love the, the, the idea that the apprentice, the next generation, basically stands on the shoulders of their theories and their techniques and then builds on it and does their own unique thing. So like while they may be utilizing some of the ideas, the concepts, and the techniques, they do not look like direct copies of them. And that's the part of the direct copy is the part that I don't like about the mentor-apprentice.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, copying doesn't really work because you practically cannot start, you know, where someone before you end, you know, he worked to get somewhere and you just cannot start, you know, there, you know, your own because it couldn't work because there has to be your own base you building on. It's good to have a good base. And usually if you have a good teacher, you know, like it helps you make the foundation of your work. But you cannot really, you know, start, you know, he, he's finishing with this visual language, you know, that's where I'm starting, you know, it would never work. You
0: know. Well, it did work that way at one point, but that's centuries ago.
1: <laughs> it's century, but the foundation the artist had that time, you know, is skill based, you know, technically based. It's completely out of visual foundation that we have or students have these days, you know. It's, you cannot really compare, you know, like it's, it's not the same.
0: Indeed. Now I saw on your bio that you worked in the studio of Jeff Koons. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, because when I was on a Fulbright in New York, you can have a practical trainer for a year. You don't have a Fulbright money or stipend, but you still can work in a field. You know, you've been studying and he just signed you a paper that he will pay you some wage, and, uh, and I don't know. In- health insurance, I think, was also a big part of it, you know. You have to work for someone, for artists, who is willing to pay you health insurance. And that time, you know, like, I don't know, 12 years ago or 14 years ago, it wasn't so easy in U.S. There was no really health insurance. Maybe now, after Obama, it's easier. But, yeah, so, yeah, he signed me a paper. Uh, I was working there for a little over a year. And it was an experience. I, I had a good friends. It, we had a good time, actually.
0: Any great gossip about Jeff working in Jeff Koons studios? Did he make you sign like a DNR so you can't talk about anything?
1: <laughs> I was signing something that I cannot really <laughs> show pictures, use pictures, something, but but not really about the gossip, you know. But there is so many people working, you know. That there is so many gossips about Jeff Coons, maybe that we don't really have to talk. You know what? It was surprising for me because I wasn't a really big fan of Jeff Real, You know, like my focus is on. And I thought, you know, the guy is probably very busy. He's going to be there, you know, once in two weeks, you know, just checking how everything, you know, is developing. I have to say that he really is involved in what's happening in the studio. If he's in New York, he's often early in the studio And he's looking on everything, you know, and stepping in it like a director. So I have to say he really lives with the pieces. And it is really him, which I have to admire, you know, like it's, he's really part of the work. So for me, this was uh, something I really came back with that, you know, it's not just happening like a parallel world for him. He is this, he really likes these things.
0: He is a polarizing figure.
1: And he's a hard worker in a way. It's something to really, you know, point and to admire, you know, that this is him. This is his visual kind of statement of what he see around and he, he really lives it.
0: Well, I mean, I respect him for what he has done. He is an amazing brand.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this. Of course, there is a part of is he always, you know, like even when he was student, like I was selling MoMA something you can you you buy like a membership card, you know, for a year, you know. And when I was selling this, I was best seller, you know, in MoMA history so far. So he's like really, you know, like "I, I know how to sell these things, and you know, like this this marketing part is great in even in his mind and about his. And he's very convinced about himself.
0: Well, see, but that's a a very hard thing because, like, I'm an excellent salesperson. Like, if I work for a company, I can sell the shit out of their products. Like, I used to work for Banana Republic, and I was the top seller in the entire worldwide corporation. Like, I am a good salesperson. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to selling something that I'm personally invested in, like my own artwork... I am a horrible salesperson.
1: <laughs> right, right. You know? Jeff Koons would talk about himself like, yeah, I am, like, when I did this, even when I was a student, you know, like, I did, I sell. And but then he invests a lot of the money he made into his work, you know, and into himself. And he just continued just with his work now doing this, you know, somehow he has this both words balance in one. And, of course, he always talks about, you know, like, oh, he's, uh, he's great in been selling himself you know like we did uh, every object practically we made there you know we've been finishing it was already sold and we've been just finishing it and people were waiting a few years for piece they already bought you know paid but it was all sold
0: I know in many ways it's very admirable and I think it's great but as I said he's a polarizing figure for sure (laughs) yeah 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 but this is for a big artist usually like this i met him once in in doha for at a symposium and like the the word that uh, the me and my friends we walked away from we were like he's a used car salesman
1: (laughs) yeah yeah like
0: he's that slick and he's i mean he has an answer for everything and and he's smiling the whole time like yeah 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 yeah.
1: he
0: i mean i can't tell if it's just completely sincere and honest or if it's completely a lie (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> there I is get, a uh, you know you know what i was uh, like working sometimes very close with him even sketching something and there is something like part of him feels like android it was like something like unreal a little bit <laughs> that's yeah. true yeah, there, there was something you cannot really answer you know there is some question you like is it real you know and certain slowness of it. you know and smooth talk you know like uh it's
0: like yeah he has like no affectation he's just yes, like he's like yes, yes this yes, yes this it's all sort of the same tone and and don't get me wrong I, I i'm poking fun at him but yet he's one of the most you know uh well-known and of because, course you of know, course b- best sellers in the world so like obviously i'm a bit envious and jealous in many ways so there you go mm. it,
1: it is very unique very unique in many aspects but it's a visual statement of a, you know of a world we live in.
0: He's very much like an icon of our time even because Yeah, it, I mean, is, it is. It is. The whole the whole nature of having to brand yourself and market yourself has literally become the arts world.
1: Yeah, and the, the quality of things, you know, like they are made in the highest possible quality. It's like a bernini of our times, you know, like it is like material wise you know like it's pushed to the limits you know you spend the time you know like the obsession with detail it must be some obsession you know because it's unreal you know like the focus people spend on some something really small and days and week you know like polishing some edge of a balloon you know like there cannot be any scratch anymore, you
0: know
1: I mean I was there you know like I just, it's, it must be obsession
0: all right so back to your work <laughs> So, well like one thing that I've noticed and this is very common even like my own website and everybody else, a lot of other people's websites, we all focus on the work. So we, we make like lots of images and make our websites look really pretty and stuff. But uh, text, we don't put a lot of text on our websites. And so like a lot of your stuff, like I'm, I want to ask more questions about, but I'm, I'm not seeing any sort of context for sort of what they are and why they were created and all this kind of stuff. Do you write them? Do you write them to yourself or do you get other people to write them? Like, how do you create these because I'm sure a lot of your works, because of their site-specific nature and stuff, you have to write proposals and requests and things like this. So I'm always fascinated because I hate writing text <clears throat> about my art.
1: Actually, yeah, many, many artists have this. I, I don't really like to, writing too much about my work because it should be said by something, you know, something else. On the other hand, it's it's necessary to write, especially if you yeah write proposals and you need to give them clear statement what it's after, which is more or less clear, but I do it. But it's maybe the problem after that. I never write much when it's finished, the piece. That's probably part of the problem because many people don't have the complex or at least wider view of what happened there, you know, what happened and how it works because the photography is also a problem, you know. It's translate to 3D, you know, like monumental 3D object, you know, with a camera. Sometimes nearly impossible, you know. Sometimes I think like a digital, you know, more like a video can maybe translate a piece more. At least you feel it in the environment better, but at the same time I don't really like to look at the videos after so much.
0: Nobody does.
1: You know, like if it's like dense in photography gimme, I usually end up with a photography. Sometimes better, sometimes not so much. It would be nicer if I could write more, or I will, because maybe I can explain some things which are not visual translated uh, so easily. I don't do it so much, so this is a problem. But I have few friends which wrote me text about the pieces which I am happy with, but I don't do it with every installation really yeah the writing is problem really and even the translating the installation into the image or a few images it's problem you know the fantasy of people works in a different ways because it happened to me many times people came and if they saw the images before they said oh i thought it will it was it would look different i have this practically every time you know like
0: well, that's the beauty of photography. I'm a photographer, and like everybody's like, "Oh, photography's real," and I'm like, "No, uh-huh. photography is a lie. Photography has always been a lie." <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah, it, it is, it is. But uh, there is there is a certain beauty you get to the image, so much emotions and and feelings you can get really, you know, like condense the reality through through this analogic process of taking some visual image. I mean, it's it can be very dense. Photography can be. It's another big problem, but somehow the photography after it's for me the statement, you know, it's actually like a statement about the installation. I think I live then with the image from the photography. The years later, there is more of the photography in my head. So I take photography by myself, but also I have a few friends which take photography, and then the photography is usually what holds most, you know, like in my mindset after.
0: Well, a lot of your work is site-specific things. And so, like, they happen and then they're done. And so the only thing left of them is the documentation of them, you know.
1: Yeah, if I think about a piece, I usually think through the photographies. You know, years later, uh, did I remember the details and stuff? It's fresh only, like, one, two years. But then I, I have it to, uh, just that I remember the photographies.
0: Oh, don't kid yourself. I don't remember work I did, like, 20 years ago either. And I'm a photographer. But, uh, yeah, yeah
1: yeah but uh, yeah yeah
0: but i remember still the photographies. but i'm also fascinated so site specific work you're a professor now i know i don't know if the rest of the world knows this but they will now professors in the czech republic are paid horribly the the amount of income is really poor in comparison to what they could be making elsewhere in the world or in another industry um (laughs) and the nature of your work is also very sort of site-specific and all this So, like do you sell works do you like how else do you make a living because i mean as i said i like i know that czech professors are not paid very much
1: yeah yeah yeah. the most the money i need for working is i have to make by selling some uh, objects so that's like the half of it i usually the money i make by selling i put back to producing stuff that's how it works with me and the, the money I, I make with uh, the, the college, I have, like, for my family. And so I have it split. And some years are better, you know, some years are not so good. But I still can make some stuff, you know. And uh, same time, I have a good support from few companies, even like the glass. Sometimes I get you know, like the, the glass company I work, give me a discount, you know, or sponsorship, because some bigger objects would be, you know, like just the glass. If I would go to buy it, would be like, I don't know, $15,000 on the object is, you know, just the glass, you know? So there was a time that they could give it to me all free, you know, like when I did the V&A, the AGC gave glass for free, like a sponsorship, and it was all hardened and stuff, so, you know, like, and some other, you know, like check centers paid for shipping, Now I have to find a way, you know, it was very unique that it was for free, but usually I will get some discount.
0: And I love that. You know, I, again, I'm from photography background, like, so like Canon and Nikon, like and Epson, like they'll do sponsorships and and stuff like this. But like, if you're a, I'm thinking like a painter, like paint companies don't, you know, offer scholarships yeah. for paint. You know, and canvas companies don't offer canvas mm-hmm. discounts or sponsorship. Technologies, I feel like, are very good with doing that because they want to push their new technologies, and so those people can <laughs> get sponsorships and they can do really adventurous things. Whereas the people who are working in more traditional mediums are sort of left in the cold, and we have to figure out how to fund our own projects. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I may be luckier in a way. Lately, I work very much with industrial materials. Materials, materials which are around us my wife once told me in a van you know moving some exhibition somewhere and she said like oh your exhibition it looks lately just like hornbach <laughs> you moving stuff from hornbach <laughs> and, uh, you know all of this bauhaus
0: for those in america that would be a home improvement center so that would be like lowe's or home depot so anyways go on
1: exactly exactly like home Depot. you know like you're buying stuff from home Depot. maybe it's a little bit like advantage for me that i'm asking sometimes for companies which are not really working with any artist and they are like i'm just this unique guy who first one after 15 years who came and said okay i'm doing this art project, and could you give me some material for this? It will look like this and this. Usually they will give me a good price.
0: Well, see, it's interesting because like in the United States, there are these like tax deductions. So like if a corporation decides to donate something or give a discount to an artist or an arts organization, they actually get a tax incentive kind of thing. Like they get the ability to take that money, that stuff they gave off their income sheet. Is that true in Europe? Do they get something like that? I,
1: I think it works with a taxing company then for them. Yeah. They get some discount on the tax it's, it's similar i'm not sure if it's same you know or what percentage but they, i think they can do this
0: yeah. good to know i gotta go seek some sponsorship then
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but but some of your also your pieces are quite colossal and monumental as, specifically as far as like glassworks go i mean they're quite large do you write grants do you do residencies like how do you sort of come do all of these processes
1: Now and then, you know, I write some grants for some bigger projects. I have to. I did something in London this year for a biennial and I got a grant or my wife helped me to write the grant. I could not really do it, but my wife is happy to help me with this, which is great. So I got a grant from like a minister of culture for this because there was some fee, you know, involved in it, which I got paid from a grant like every year. I try to get some grant at least for some project, but I have like two or three projects usually a year, and I have a grant usually for one
0: only i'm sorry i I just gotta say like you you're wait you're saying you do two or three projects a year and you only get grant funding for one of them. That's monumental, like as an American, we're lucky if we get one grant a decade. <laughs>
1: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I usually get some grant every year. You know, like this is not a grant of, a, I don't know, like twenty thousand dollars was the grant for a London. That was great one. It was like the
0: that's epic, biggest
1: in the decade. Yeah, but it was, uh, yeah.
0: That's fabulous.
1: But yeah, yeah, I was very happy.
0: I mean, I've noticed that the the. Region, so I'm not going to say just the Czech Ministry and the Czech culture are very supportive of the arts. You know, so like I've seen lots of great stuff in Austria, Germany. Uh, Poland, and of course, Scandinavia funds the arts amazingly. Mm. The infrastructure is fabulous for supporting artists in this region as far as like my perspective coming from America, where of course they don't support the arts at all. It's completely capitalistic, the general whole. So like I love it in this region, and I wish <laughs> more people understood just how supportive this region is of arts and creativity. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not going to be wealthy but we can at mm. least afford to do what we want to do.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, I got a grant just to get a grant I worked uh, so much and I didn't really made uh, made something extra, you know, like I spent it, but it was a great support that it could happen. But at the same time there is a regions, the rich like the Scandinavia, you know, like I had a friend, Isa, who was worked for this company from Portland. They they organized an exhibition in Scotland and she was one of the artists of the five artists we did the project there. Anyway, did this uh, the American couple they invited us and we stayed in their house and we worked. in but this Norwegian girl, she has a grant for ten years. That's the grant she can live on and work, and it's for ten years. I said like, ah, I say you're lucky you live in this decade, you know. That's something, you know, she got before, you know, first you got for only for two years, you know, you need to get this for two years. And after that, you can apply, you know, and they decided she, I don't know, did well, probably for them. They gave her a grant for 10 years.
0: I met a lady in Finland that she was complaining to me that her government only buys her art supplies and pays for her studio. (laughs) And I'm like, that's everything. Like if I got yeah
1: exactly (laughs) that's what that's what you need you know they don't buy the pieces from me then after you know like they they should be paying for the studio and then buy always buy the piece wouldn't that be
0: epic that'd be amazing if like some government actually like started like a program yeah. where they they would do a 10-year like stipend basically like hey we're gonna pay for you for 10 years and at once a mm-hmm. year you have to donate a piece to our collection i am sold mm-hmm. i'm there i will gladly do that yeah yeah yeah.
1: so in norway there is a possibility to get a
0: grant to, yeah. to work for 10 years. You're not norwegian
1: <laughs> yeah exactly i want to be a norwegian
0: Well, no, I've heard stories that like if you basically make a collective or sort of work collaboratively with people in that culture, you can also still participate in those. So like it's not just 100% for Norwegians, but if you work Mm -hmm. with a Norwegian, then you can actually apply for those even if you're not from that region which is so exciting to me mm-hmm.
1: yeah so th- yeah there's there is a different strategies but same time in US there is some states like California they are supporting some public arts you know because i have friends i was exhibiting with and they they have a public art projects quite well paid and it's supported by some you know like californian government probably.
0: yeah i know but it's so political in the US
1: it is probably, you know, like how to get it is, uh, you know, but it's all, only some of the states inside the U.S. probably have this, you know, and who knows for you know, how much longer. You know,
0: like. Well, and in most of those cases, you often have to reside in that state. So like somebody from Colorado cannot apply for a California project. Yeah, exactly. Kind of so it's very, yeah. Which drives just, me nuts. is so silly. It, yeah. In,
1: yeah, this is so uh, <laughs> like a local close up.
0: I mean, I understand it. The ta- they want the people who are part of the tax base—that's basically paying for the government—that the government's then funding this thing—to mm. be able to, you know, benefit from it. I get all that, like from a, like a logistical, like accounting purposes. From a philosophical purposes, it's sort of like, shouldn't you be putting the best art out, regardless of where the person lives?
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Especially if it's one um, big state you know where you could move easily should be moving all around and be very open to any environment.
0: So speaking of that, so you mentioned that you make other objects that are for sale and that you sell on a regular basis. I'm envious slash jealous. So like you sell on a regular basis?
1: I mean I'm not selling on a regular basis but now and then you know like I sell pieces and and it's a big part of I have pieces in few museums and and kind of public places, and, and that usually, you know, help a lot. You know, usually, for some private persons, buy.
0: I love it how you're just like you're you're just like breezing over. I've got a few pieces in a couple museums. Yeah, whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. I do, I do. Come
0: on, you've yeah. done exhibitions at the Victoria Albert Museum. I mean, for fuck, come on, you've got mm-hmm. a really good looking resume.
1: Yeah, they even bought a piece from me, but it uh, it actually broke. <laughs> they bought it from exhibition uh, exhibition uh, somewhere in Edinburgh or something, and and it came. Someone packed it back in Edinburgh. Uh, it, in London, it was broken already. I'm not sure how it was, but I think they paid me insurance. So. I got the money.
0: Yeah, but wouldn't it be better to have it in their museum? (laughs) Yeah, that would definitely be much better. So it will come again. Okay, good. You're going to make that again for them, right? No, 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 no. Hopefully they will buy some piece eventually, some other piece. Okay, so you just took the insurance money and moved on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I actually offered them, I can do it again. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We don't want to. We wanted that piece, you know. They didn't even want to play the game, you know, like, oh, you will give us a. Second one of the line. Somehow, they, yeah, they said, like, oh, they probably needed to spend the money right away.
0: Yes, probably.
1: Or something, you know, like, there was something. Because they'd be like, no, oh, no, 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 we, we don't, we'll buy something else and we you just have it.
0: Maybe they broke it intentionally within that year to use their insurance rider as well. I don't know.
1: Anyway, anyway, DNA is, uh, that's actually my favorite museum.
0: It's a beautiful museum. In London. Yeah. Yeah. Now okay, wait. So all of are all of your pieces one of a kinds like or do you work in any form of multiples?
1: I do have few pieces, but it, usually, you know, like I don't have like the pieces that I cast like three times or four times, you know, and sign it. Usually it's very unique. Some objects I did a few like twice. I had to did it, like, over again from the beginning, really. You know, it wasn't like I cast that piece three times and, you know, I sold it once and I have two of them still with me. Or I did the process over from the beginning. You know, like, I did this lead piece I call Anthropoid, which is a lead relief from the wall where was the soldiers in the crypt of the church where soldiers hide, the soldiers which killed Heidrich, SS officer who was, uh, during the Second World War, he was a ruler of Bohemia at that time. And there is the church. The soldiers been hiding, and they killed themselves after. And the wall there is; it has a relief after the machine gun bullets, you know, and I did this let relief of it. So I did this piece twice, but I had to do it over from the beginning.
0: we have got a totally random question, because I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that you... You were born and raised in the Czech Republic. You were educated, your primary stuff, and then you went to America. If you had a choice, would you choose to be sort of more part of the European arts community or let's say the Americans' arts community?
1: Um, it's hard to tell. You know, when I was in U.S., I loved it. And I even enjoyed my time in New York so much. I would even stay longer. But I had to, after years or something, I had to go back because of Fulbright. You're supposed to come back to the country where... At least for two years or for some time. And that was my time. It was a good move. But if I didn't have to, I would probably stay in New York for a little longer. But on the other hand, somehow I love Europe so much. You know, culture, heritage, history, architecture. Somehow I really, I feel like I belong here. art is really fascinating for me because the culture is you know like we are part of the culture you know like we didn't made it you know we, we inherited the culture and the, the culture I am in it's like I feel related to
0: to Europe so much well see I find it very interesting in well I, I shouldn't say all of Europe but in the Czech Republic at least there's a bit of like still in the same way that they do in America they still sort of look down on artists but like here it it's almost like you should be struggling you should be that poor struggling artist like it's almost like that's more admired than a successful (laughs) artist here
1: yeah i mean it is a cliche you know really you know maybe but the struggle probably uh, relates to avant-garde you know avant-garde of late 19th century you know like you know poets writers you know they struggle but same time, you have the biggest artists from like Renaissance and Baroque, you know, they've been very rich. Still, they struggled, you know, struggled with the art, but they've been rich guys, you know, like even in Czech that time, but all the Renaissance artists been in Florence. They've been, they've been so rich, you know.
0: I know. I don't understand where this whole concept of like the starving artist came from. I fucking hate that term.
1: I think it's it's yeah, it's the avant-garde of 19th century, you know, late 19th century, because there was written so much about it, stories, and you had movies, you know, and Van Gogh, you know, who never sold a piece. It, you it's know. been
0: overly romanticized, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's romantic idea of you know, yeah. That art can come only if you are starving. <laughs> if you're not starving, you
0: probably not good art is happening. No, that's horrible. Like I've been starving, it is, it is. and it's not a romantic thing.
1: <laughs> it doesn't really
0: help, you know. No, it does not increase you increase your creativity. I guarantee it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the frozen paints doesn't work better. In
0: no. Some aspect, you know. No, you need heating in your home in your studio for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're in the Czech Republic, which has a long history of glass art. And so, you know, how does that sort of all fit together? Because like to a certain extent, it's, it's, a, it's a great burden to have to sort of be part of that sort of iconic Czech glass history.
1: Uh, yeah, but I don't really feel like, you know, like I'm more a visual artist slash sculptor. I'm not really in a traditional glass forms or techniques, you know, like I'm not really this kind of a glass scene artist, you know, like the, the traditional glass techniques, which are used in more or less contemporary visual, you know, scenarios or designs. There is a big tradition and also there is many glass artists which work in that very traditional way. It's not really my, my language, you know, and I don't like the glass because I love the beautiful vessels and, you know, like casts. It's not peeling to, to, to meet so much. So, and I don't really meet with this scene, with this glass scenes uh, so much. So I'm standing a little bit on the side more as a fine artist. Like.
0: But like you even have a thing on your website that says intervention in architecture as like a, a style that you do. And like, I see that like uh-huh. there's a, a sense of like almost taking a space or you're taking architecture and you sort of try to deconstruct it in some way by putting barriers and creating other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And like, so there's this very interesting play of like, cause most artists, like you have a, a like, you have like a section of glass, sculptures, drawings, and then a term, like I'm guessing that you made up for yourself, which is intervention mm-hmm. in architecture, which I think is a fascinating sort of direction to go in with art.
1: That's something what I do What's really in me, you know, like the the strongest right now, you know, like what I question. You know, I came to the conclusion or to the idea that I'm fascinating with space more than with the object in a way that I kind of relate it to environment or, you know, to surrounding. I am intuitively connecting myself to the space than to the object. So the space is maybe more for me than the objects in it, you know. That's something what I, you know, like what I'm now and then and over and over questioning, you know, in the space I work with. You know, When I worked, for example, in VNA, they gave me uh, so many different spaces, you know, like I could choose. And I choose the two for reasons because I was coming back and forth, you know, and I just wanted to feel the, the space and the light in it and see it in the different times of the day and see how you know like how it relates to people and all you know like the the space is more than the object really that's what i want to say
0: that's great is any last sort of topics there anything that you want to talk about that maybe i didn't know to even ask you about
1: when i graduated from the glass in architecture department my final project i didn't do anything with glass and not really with the architecture (laughs)
0: Wait, I'm sorry, you you graduated from art and architecture and did not use glass and architecture. Sorry, art, glass.
1: No, not really architecture in a way, but actually there was an architecture. But you know what my my graduation project was? That I found old road in a countryside, you know, which wasn't used for maybe 40 years because it was quite narrow and you could use it only with a, a horse and horse truck, let's say. It was from the village up to the horizon and then after the hill. And on the top of the hill, it kind of disappeared with the ground. The road was cut negatively into the ground and was paved with stones. But you couldn't see it because after the 40 years, there was a trees growing and you couldn't see the stones because there was like, I don't know, 40 centimeters of clay already. My project was I clean the road back to the stones. And it was maybe, I don't know, 250 meters of the road, you know. And I cut the trees. I spent like nearly three months doing it by myself. And I cut the trees and I build the fence on the side. And I clean it back on the stones so you could see the relief from how it was from the trucks. You know, like it was a little bit bended. And all the clay I cut out, I you know, like with the roots and stuff, I built a little of the wall on the side. And from the narrow trees, I kind of built a traditional wooden wall on the side, so made it higher. So that was my graduation project, this land art thing. And I did it by myself. And it was a unique experience even to work, you know, alone in a countryside, not really meeting. And on the end, I remember it was... So intense that I didn't even wish to meet anyone. It was just me. And if someone was passing by, I just sit on the ground and wait because I didn't want to talk to anyone. And I did my, I don't know, 15, 10 meters a day, you know, I could do or eight meters, depends how many trees there was and roots, you know, because cut through all the root, and then you had to fix some stones because some stones have been falling down because the trees, you know, like, push them out from the wall. It was a unique experience, you know. I probably will never do this, but if you are 25, there is an idea of an artist.
0: You have time to do this. And and they let you graduate with that from the glass and art. Yeah, from the glass
1: in architecture. Yeah, and actually, I think I got even some prize for it, for a graduation project. Nice. Yeah, so you let me. I had a very good professor. Yeah, Marianne (laughs) Carlson. Yeah. So this was my graduation piece.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. It was great.
0: Thank you very much for listening to the Complete Conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, studio mates, anyone with an interest in the arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, the audio was edited by Mickey at Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. As we all know, funding and financial support for the arts is incredibly important, so when you have it, you got to thank it. So, I'd like to thank EEA Grants from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway. They are working together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. And I'd also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Czech Republic and Kunstcentrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.